0: This year is a big election year around the world. Every politician will promise you growth. That's how they get elected. They will tell you that they will deliver growth. The assumption is that growth and a good life are the same thing. That growth is the thing in your heart of hearts that you want. Get the details next.
1: The presidential election in 2024 is probably the most important election in our country's history.
0: You're looking at a Biden-Trump rematch that two-thirds of the country doesn't want. I'm Dave Gardner. I'm running for president. The billionaire class has been taking everything and leaving everybody else to fight for the scraps. You're right to talk
2: about economic growth and restoring that American dream. Worst domestic product has now become a fetish.
1: You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your fairy tales of
0: eternal economic growth. We humans have outgrown our planet. Is growth really making us richer? or is it making us poor? We've got to scale back. We need people to reimagine a lifestyle which requires much less energy and material.
2: Didn't Elon Musk actually say one of the biggest issues that we're facing is underpopulation? Let's not be afraid to talk about
1: overpopulation because it is not about taking rights away from people. It is about giving opportunities to women, children, and future generations.
0: I'm Dave Gardner, Independent Candidate for U.S. President, and this is the podcast chronicling my campaign. Welcome to Dave the Planet. We've got a planet to save, and the U.S. needs to do its part. Learn more and follow my campaign at DaveThePlanet2024.com. I'm pretty excited. I've invited my campaign team to join me for this episode. We're recording on January 24th, 2024, and we don't have the entire team, but we've got a a few people. Mike and Allie are with us. Welcome, Mike and Allie.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Dave.
0: Now, in the last episode of the podcast, episode nine, with Matt Orsog, who writes the Degrowth is the Answer publication on Substack, I mentioned a piece that he had published called, The Speech We Need to Hear from Our Leaders. And it really blew me away to read it. It was perfectly aligned with my agenda and the entire reason that we're all involved on this campaign. Uh, In fact, it could have been my launch speech. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I encourage you to read it and share it. But really importantly, we're going to review that speech in this episode. So if you don't get a chance to read it, you'll get a a good flavor of it in this episode of the podcast, whether you're watching or listening. Uh, But before we jump into that, I just thought I would put the floor open to the campaign team. Do you guys have any important items that you want to share real quick?
1: we're happy to be here too i think you were right these uh this article that we're going to be talking about today was shocking to read because you know you don't get a lot of people talking about the things that you're talking about dave anti-growth and some important things that need to be discussed i'm glad to be here with you and talking about these important topics
0: And Mike, you've been a follower of my growth busting for a long, long time. So you're a a valued advisor and a pretty busy guy. So we don't always see you. So I'm glad that you're able to make time to join us today.
2: Yeah, thank you, Dave. And, you know, I've got so much admiration for, for what you're doing. You're maybe the only candidate I know of at almost any level, you know, that is really concerned with the overarching issues that we face on on the planet and uh it's just nice that somebody can have the perception and the vision to to look out for that kind of thing
0: well thanks mike and that reminds me maybe i'll give you a quick note guys about something that just happened that i found a little bit frustrating and we might schedule an episode of the podcast maybe even to talk about it but uh I saw an email a day or two ago, and Mike, you might have seen this, maybe you too, Ali, and I'm just not going to name the organization or the individual right now, but we might choose to later. But it is someone who's working in this space about really making the important transformation we need to make human civilization sustainable. And uh, it was an email, an endorsement for Marianne Williamson's campaign. And it was a, maybe a little bit half-hearted because the endorsement did indicate that, as far as this uh, leader knew, she wasn't completely up to speed and on board about overshoot, but that she was talking about some of the things that we want uh, candidates to talk about, like Marianne Williamson has indicated that she would declare a climate emergency. And we'll talk a little bit more about that during the course of this conversation. But I was a little surprised that somebody who really understands our overshoot emergency would endorse her over me because I am, as you said, Mike, I'm the only candidate who is full-throated, all-in on telling the public the full truth about the fact that we have outgrown the planet and that we've got to drastically change our system and our behavior and our choices if we want to leave a bright future for our kids. And so I expressed my dismay to this leader, and the response I got was, well, uh, you don't have any chance of winning. Well, raise your hand if you think Marianne Williamson has a chance (laughs) of winning. You know? She certainly gets more mainstream attention, and she's better than some of the other options, but uh, I think it underscores the difficulty of what we're trying to do here. Even people who get a lot of this, I think, They're just afraid. They're afraid to fully embrace the messages that we have really got to all get behind if we want to make the dramatic changes that we've got to make. Any feedback on that?
1: I think that when going into this paper here in a moment, you know, that was one of the things that was spoke about was how difficult it can be in conversation to talk about these things. And, you know, something that I always resonate with is the the quote, knowledge is irreverent. Sometimes we hear things that are rude and we don't necessarily want to agree with it, but we have to wake up and realize that this is a reality. This isn't just one person saying that this is scientists around the world. They're claiming humanity's got to do something different. So, yeah, it's hard, but it, it needs to be talked about. And I'm so grateful to be on this team talking about these issues with you.
0: Thanks for that. A couple of other quick news bites. Uh, Now on the website, uh, you can find endorsements, a list of some of the endorsements that we have. I haven't really been working hard on that, just haven't had time, so there's not a long list there, but you can see who has endorsed Dave Gardner for president, and there's also a place on that page. uh, You can view the really excellent video that one of our campaign team volunteers, Florence Blondell, created with some sound bites from some of the people. In fact, Mike, you, and Ali, We're both uh, in that video, so you can watch that video. And the really exciting part is that there's a button where you can click, where you can submit your own uh, endorsement, just lend your name and a statement if you'd like, and then we'll add you to the list of citizen endorsers. We also have uh, in the menu, you'll see flyers. If you click on flyers, you have the ability to download some new... uh, graphics that we've created. This was an idea from one of the volunteers, kind of a guerrilla campaign. How can we spread the word if the mainstream media isn't going to tell the public around the country about this campaign? How do we get the word out? And so one idea was what if we had little kind of enigmatic flyer kind of things that we could just leave in places as we go about our daily lives that would lead people to davetheplanet2024.com so that they could discover this campaign and learn a little bit more about what we're talking about. And so Ali has helped a lot in creating some of these. There's like six to a page and you download the file and you print it out at home and then cut it into six pieces and they each have a QR code and some kind of an interesting statement to get people's curiosity. This particular one says, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. That's all it says. And then if you use the QR code, it'll take you to a special introduction page on our website where you will be introduced to the Dave the Planet campaign. So if you're watching this and you're anxious to help the world, you know, learn about Overshoot and what we need to do to get out of Overshoot, then this is one way you can do your part. I don't know whether either of you guys have had a chance to use them yet. Ali, have you had a chance to leave one anywhere yet?
1: I'll leave it on the back of the toilet at the concert or if I'm just, you know, putting it in any little community table that I can. Yeah, because, you know, we don't have tons of money on the campaign team. So we need to find creative ways to get this out. And people need to have access to this information. So any way we yeah. can, it's the best Free way. Free advertising. <laughs> and
0: uh, if I'm at a restaurant dining out, then I'll slip one in with the uh, credit card when I'm paying the check so that the wait staff will be exposed to it.
1: Well, I tell you, Dave, having this Dave the Planet button, I get so many people asking me about that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and these can be that easily is great. created.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Thanks for making that. And I suppose what we ought to do is get our act together and put that up on uh, Cafe Press or, uh, you know, some website where any supporter can order one. That'd be great. We'll put that on our to-do list, won't we? hmm Okay. Other news. I've started a uh, Dave the Planet publication on Substack. If you want to check that out, just head over to davetheplanet.substack.com. It allows me to provide some important thoughts about what's going on in the world or in the uh, various campaigns, and as soon as I write it, it gets emailed to everyone uh, automatically. So it's not very labor-intensive for us, and it's uh, a good way to just make sure that you don't miss any news about the campaign or, more importantly, any uh, real words of wisdom from Dave Gardner, the next president of the United States. And then lastly, in the news department fundraising, you know, to date we have raised less than $10,000 for this campaign, which surprises even me because it's a national campaign. And it seems to me if people like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have been raising funds in the tens of millions and even hundreds of millions category, Can't Dave Gardner and Dave the Planet raise funds in the tens of thousands? Uh, It would be great. And, you know, we're not going to use that money to rent a bus and travel the country (laughs) doing rallies because, uh, one, we have better things to do with the money, and, two, we don't want the carbon footprint. But we really could use a, a little bit of help financially so that we could spend some advertising dollars to get some of our YouTube videos and other things uh, seen by more more eyes. We need more exposure if we're gonna alert the world or at least the United States to this overshoot emergency. So I would be honored if you would head over to davetheplanet2024.com slash donate and help us out a little bit so we can start advertising. All right, let's get on with the main subject at hand, which is titled, The Speech We Need to Hear from Our Leaders. It was written, as I mentioned, by Matt Orsog, who writes, Degrowth is the answer. And Matt was the guest on the last episode of the Dave the Planet podcast, a really interesting conversation. So, listening to that podcast, which is an audio only version of the podcast, it's a good chance to kind of get up to speed on what Matt thinks about our economic system, our financial system. And this is coming from a guy who is a, a trained financial person. He's worked in the finance industry. So it's pretty interesting perspective. But anyway, this speech, it just blew me away. It shocked me when I read it because it was so much in alignment with what we're doing. Mike, did you have the same response when you read it? Have you had a chance to read it?
2: Yeah, it's a rare treat to, you know, to see the truth really get out there.
0: You know, Dave,
1: I just, I like that Matt Straight Out said that most people are going to deny certain things, but this author here, he's worked in the economics industry and he understands that we can no longer deny this and that we need to share it. I think a lot of the stuff that you will read in here might sound extreme, but in reality, we're in an extreme situation and this is our actuality. So I i thought it was really well written too and definitely in line with your campaign. Yeah.
0: Thanks for that. I thought I would read some of the key segments and then pause after most of them to uh, offer my thoughts and give you guys a a chance to share your thoughts as well. So let's start. Uh, I'm just gonna read the first paragraph of the speech. We're in the middle of the largest environmental crisis mankind has ever faced and will likely ever face. Climate change is already starting to ravage our world. Limiting global warming to only one and a half degrees centigrade which Dave is inserting, that's 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, because we Americans don't really understand what Celsius is. Limiting global warming to only 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels is likely no longer achievable. The goal of 2 degrees Celsius, which is 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit, warming is more likely to be realistic. That may not sound like much, but each additional tenth of a degree of warming has exponential negative impacts on our lives, on our economies, and on our ability to survive. Other planetary boundaries, such as the acidification of our oceans, nitrogen and phosphorus pouring into our waterways, plastics polluting our world, and land system changes, have been breached already and threaten our lives and livelihoods in the long haul. So let's pause and chat about that for a minute. One thing is important, and that is that this crisis is more than what people assume. A lot of people assume we're in a climate crisis. Marianne Williamson seems to assume that that's it. She said she will declare a climate emergency. I will declare an ecological overshoot emergency. All those things that Matt lists in the first paragraph of the speech are all a part of this polycrisis, which is much more than just climate. Mm
1: -hmm. Other comments? Yeah, I think he listed out quite a bit of different um, areas where we are not really functioning as society as we should. And the one that sticks out to me is, of course, the plastic pollution you know, having an environmental background, I see what it's doing to the ecosystems, you know, and and everything that we're surrounded with, whether that's cosmetics or packaging, especially single-use food packaging, it's all harming life. There's so much collateral damage that uh, doesn't really get talked about. We talk about plastic being bad and let's not use a straw anymore, but it goes beyond just our single uses. It's It's in everything. And I don't know, what do we eat, like a, a credit card full of plastic, I, I heard somewhere, a week. So if we can just eliminate some of these smaller impacts that we're doing, it could change a, a whole lot of things, even the way that the pollution in the air is, the climate change predicament, because our insum- consumption will change, essentially.
0: Yeah, but I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, there are a lot of people working on this plastic pollution Absolutely. Issue, and that's mm-hmm. important. But... You know, that's just one of a long list of things that we are doing to our home planet. And all of these little, uh, there's just so many issues that we face because 8 billion people on one planet trying to live the American dream. That's really hard on the planet. So Mm -hmm. if we just solve the plastic problem, we haven't created a bright future for our kids.
1: Needs to be a little bit more, yeah, a little bit yeah. more. It infer- doesn't
0: mean we shouldn't work on the plastic problem, but we can't just focus on that and not work on all the other crises. And Mike, I know you understand that—that's for sure.
2: I think if you look at the number of problems the different groups are attacking, you know, and these are social, environmental, and economic problems as well. I mean, water and air pollution. Where do we put the trash? What we call overfishing. Um, mass transit is just breaking down everywhere. We can't build housing fast enough. And the cost of housing is, is getting out of reach for like 90% of the population now. And there's, there's hundreds of other similar problems. And so many groups are attacking one of those problems. And yet our growth mentality is the multiplier, a direct multiplier of virtually every one of those problems. And you're the only candidate that seems to see that.
0: It's complexity. We've, we've built a house of cards. And so we've got a long laundry list of things that we have to try to get perfectly right in order for 8 billion people to have even a chance of living sustainably on the, the planet. And the truth is maybe if we got everything right, that might work for 3 billion people. For 8 billion people to get it right, the math seems to indicate that we would all have to live so simply that I don't have any confidence that we could ever get the citizens of the planet to sign up for that kind of lifestyle. So we've got to shrink the number of us. We need to embrace the lower birth rates that we're seeing. That's a good trend. We need to embrace that and accelerate it. But we've also got to curb our consumption, and stop worshiping economic growth. Mm -hmm. And these are the messages you're not getting from any other candidates that we know about. All right, moving ahead, I'm gonna just skip around, but just work my way through the speech. We are consuming Earth's resources as though we had 1.6 Earths to use. And in the Western world, that level of consumption is around four Earths worth of resources we use every year. This is unsustainable. Earth Overshoot Day, the day in which we exhaust our budget for the resources we use each year is creeping slowly towards the beginning of the calendar. It will be July 25th this year. It was August 2nd last year. I don't know where he got 1.6, but the information I have is that it's 1.7 or 1.75, according to Global Footprint Network, the last information I saw. And that it's pretty conservative. That doesn't account for leaving space for other species. So it's pretty easy to just round up and say that we're – what I would like to say is – well, I don't like saying it, but it's the truth – is we're engaged in two-planet living. Globally, we're living as though we had two planet Earths. Of course, in the Western world, it's really closer to five Earths. So, uh, you know, if you divide the global economic throughput equally among 8 billion people, you get about $11,000 in annual GDP per person – So that's a good rough estimate of the kind of lifestyle that you would need to live if we wanted 8 billion people to all live equally and fairly without damaging the Earth's ecosystems year after year after year. You'd need to be living as though you were earning $11,000 a year. You know, that's not impossible, but that's a little bit tough to swallow for someone in the Western world that's living (laughs) pretty (laughs) high on the hog (laughs) compared to that, right? And that's why we can't just focus on contracting our uh, GDP and curbing consumption. We've got to also focus on getting human numbers back to a smaller level so that we can find some kind of balance where people can live decent lives without leaving their kids a dead planet.
2: You're running for president of the U.S. So what would be the sustainable number and what do we have to do in the U.S.? It seems like you know that's what as president you would have some direct control over and and of course we what we do has so much influence over the rest of the world
0: as u.s president of course i can't legislate or uh, sign an executive order that's going to directly change the behavior of the policies outside the united states but i can lead we haven't been in a leadership position in this for a long time. The United States is really one of the big hogs on the planet. Mm -hmm. We are rampant over consumers. With less than 5% of the world's population, we account for 20 or 25% of the world's consumption, and uh, that's not a good example. So I think there's a lot of power in leading by example. We're at, what, 335 million, I think, today. I think if we're engaged in five-planet living and we're not willing to simplify our lives, then we'd need to cut that population down to 20% of what it is today. I think that's pretty dramatic and that would be challenging to do, and I don't think we need to do it. Maybe we trim our population over the next 50 to 100 years, trim it back to 100 million, and at the same time we cut our economic throughput down to a third or something like that. So it's kind of a a balancing act. Nobody knows exactly what the finish line looks like, but we we definitely know which way to face (laughs) to start heading to that finish line.
1: Sure, not becoming so reliant on uh, electricity, finding other solutions to go about our day, you know?
0: Yeah, and we're gonna get to some of that in this speech too, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Okay, so continuing, The people who lead this world have not been square with you because that would hurt their bank accounts and might take away their power. We are destroying our world and making it unlivable for future generations so that we can have more things now, not what we need, but what we want. Earth can supply what we need to live, but not all of what we want. It's time to pick a different path. This year is a big election year around the world. Every politician will promise you growth. That's how they get elected. They will tell you that they will deliver growth. The assumption is that growth and a good life are the same thing. That growth is the thing in your heart of hearts that you want. But that's not how the natural world works. Things don't grow forever. You don't grow forever. The trees outside your house don't grow forever. The only thing that grows forever is cancer. It grows until it kills its host, and then it dies too. Pretty well said, don't you think? And it's all about the uh, you know the myth of progress from growth. And, you know, that's a, a fairly recent phenomenon. It's just something that's come up in the last couple of hundred years out of, you know, tens of thousands of years of human history. Yes, life got better during the last 200 years, concurrent with massive economic growth. But GDP growth didn't cause the invention of penicillin or electricity or indoor plumbing. It was coincidental, not causal. But we've conflated those now and we think economic growth uh, leads to these improvements in life, and these are kind of material improvements. These aren't even the the best uh, joys in life and the best spiritual improvements. And you know, that reminds me of something Greta Thunberg said in, I think, in 2019 at, uh, uh, I can't remember, it was some kind of a climate summit. I think you guys probably know what I'm talking about, but I actually have video of that that I will uh, share real quick if you'll indulge me.
1: People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you?
0: She said it. She said it all. Growth is not the final answer. The only way to keep it up is if we decide to plunder the universe. And it's kind of interesting, I think you guys have probably noticed, but Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, you know, two of the pretty famous billionaires out there who are actively involved in space exploration, they seem to have given up on planet Earth. They're busy working on figuring out how we're going to colonize other planets and mine asteroids. And their, uh, their visions, I think, are both similar in one respect, and that is that they envision us taking over planet after planet after planet, that that's somehow our manifest destiny is for the human race to exist throughout the solar system, and so we don't need to take care of Earth. Earth isn't essential, and uh, we can exercise this uh, plunder mentality everywhere we go.
1: Just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen that way in the natural world. We don't see that happening. Um, thinking about a rodent species, for instance, they can start to realize they're overpopulating their space. Their resources are dwindling and they make that decision to senesce and not have any babies. I can't think of the rodent's name at the moment, but they, that is happening in the natural world. And I think what Elon Musk does say that a lot of people are now realizing is we are in trouble. but I think what he doesn't say is that he believes that people can come together and create solutions to fix the problem. He's not giving us the the upper hand of being able and capable of fixing our problem because we cannot, you're right, Dave, we cannot raise kids on Mars. It's, we have a planet here that's beautiful and wonderful, and we need to remedy it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine a good life for a kid who never sets foot on soil <laughs> who never feels a tree who never hears the birds in the forest to live a whole life in some kind of artificial environment is uh that's i don't think that's a good future
1: no and that was powerful thing that you showed about greta and many people are familiar with it but it still brings me to tears because she's so young and this is her future that we're handing to her it's sad
0: Yep, that's true.
2: A few years ago, Bill Moyers interviewed an economist named Richard Wolff. And Richard Wolff wasn't your typical economist. Richard Wolff saw what we were doing to ourselves. And he stated the fact of his studies that economic growth only is an advantage to the very wealthy. Hmm. And all of the rest of the population spends their entire lives paying for that growth, you know, in so many ways, increased taxes to pay for, for more infrastructure and of course, you know, all of the symptoms of growth that we've just been talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for adding that. So in the speech, we should just give up on the dream of forever growth. It is a dream that is destroying our world. Then he continues a little later, I will not promise you growth because that is irresponsible, but I can promise you a better way. I can promise you a way that is sustainable. I can promise you a way that is better for your children 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and 100 years from now. But that will take a change that is quite uncomfortable. Do you want to keep your comfort for today and doom your children? Or do you want to make uncomfortable changes and save them? Tough question. I mean, the answer is easy, for me at least, and you, I bet, right? It's uncomfortable, what we need to do, for sure, and it's inconvenient. But I want to make an important point, and that is that it's not miserable. What we're proposing isn't a life of miserable sacrifice. In fact, if we can kind of get back to the things that are most important in life, they will have a smaller footprint, it will free us to actually rediscover the true joys of life. Step off of the treadmill, jump out of the rat race, and there are some real joys to be had.
1: Yeah, your health for one.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you stay on course, then your kids get a Mad Max future and they end up eventually with a dead planet. I think that's worth a little bit of discomfort and inconvenience, if you ask me. So uh, I think we should accept the challenge and dramatically change our story, create a bright future, a future with less hunger, less war, less desperation, less death. Because can't you see that right now we're all just sort of marching toward more of all those things? Mm -hmm. Instead, wouldn't you like to give your kids more abundance, opportunity, community, education, love, things that really matter? I think that's what the speech is saying here.
1: Yeah, community, community.
0: Yeah, -hmm. Yeah, and then uh, the speech goes on to mention limits to growth, so I was impressed that Matt was familiar with that famous 1972 MIT study, which it turns out the modeling of that study, we've been following the business-as-usual scenario way too closely, and it doesn't portend well for us. He says, we are on the path of our self-destruction. I take no joy in saying that. But in the position that I am in, I have a responsibility to say it. I have the responsibility to tell everyone who can hear my voice or read these words that we must change the way we live our lives. Now, the next several points in the speech give some examples of changes that we need to make. To me, it reads like a description of my national project to get the U.S. out of overshoot. If you're not familiar with it already, visit davetheplanet2024.com and click on the issues and uh, you'll find a link to the national project to get the U.S. out of overshoot. And that's the keystone of my campaign is from day one, we will be building and initiating this project, which will be very similar to what we did when we entered World War II, where we will mobilize everyone in the country. We're all going to come together and do what we need to do for the future of our kids. I'll share a few of these bits from the speech that describe, really, my national project. We need to redesign the way we live, travel, eat, and use energy. Yes, we should replace internal combustion engines with electric vehicles when necessary, but we should also look at reducing our reliance on personal cars in the first place. We need to change what we eat Beef is the most egregious of the greenhouse gas-producing foods we eat. I enjoy a good steak and a good burger now and again. You don't have to be vegetarian to save the world. If we cut down on our beef consumption as a nation and rewild some of those areas that were formerly used to raise cattle, while fairly compensating those that will be shutting down ranches, we tackle issues with water use, land use, pesticide runoff, and climate change all at once. We need to make eating beef more expensive, not to punish anyone, but because it is best for our society. Now, later in the speech, uh, he outlines other things that I see and as under consideration for my national project. In his words, I propose we institute things such as a four-day work week, universal basic income, universal basic services, job guarantees, and other policies that are meant to serve people, not profit. You can have your profit, but not at the expense of the public, which is what we are currently doing.
1: I think you mentioned two good points. That One, you don't have to be a vegetarian, that you should at least try to cut back, especially in that beef industry that you were talking about. You talked about you know, how it's polluting our water and causing methane gases. But we also have to think about the production of the meat and the transportation, how much carbon that's actually being released into the environment. So it's a, it's really bad to consume, you know, beef all the time. So just cutting back, I like yeah. that he mentioned that. Mm-hmm.
0: I found a word for it. I didn't realize there was, but uh, my diet practice is I'm a flexitarian. I haven't given up meat altogether. I haven't given up beef altogether, but I have cut way, way back on it. And the beef that I do buy has been uh, grass-fed and uh, raised uh, lovingly and more sustainably. And Americans, I think, have a lot of room to cut way back on the amount of beef and the amount of other meat in our diet. I don't have to give it up completely, but that'll be something that we'll we'll be having more conversations about that at the White House. (laughs) The speech moves into rights of nature, which is something I don't think I've heard any of the... uh, candidates for U.S. president talk about Uh, and that's something that I think is also a hallmark of my campaign. Let me read the part of the speech that brings this up. The indigenous people of this world have been managing these environmental issues for millennia and we will need to lean on them for their knowledge and ask for their help. We should do more to marry our modern world with these traditional ways of seeing the world. We should offer legal protection to our rivers, to our land to our mountains, to our air, to our oceans. If a corporation can be a person, why can't a river or an ocean? Well, they are. Interesting. (laughs) Yep. So rights of nature is a part of our platform. We've got a responsibility to respect other species and the natural world in general. And you know what, even if you don't and you assume human beings are special, (laughs) you know, we can't live without healthy natural ecosystems. So either way, we have got to turn back toward respecting Mother Nature. You
1: know, we're drowning ourselves and we're drowning nature when we when we don't listen. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now this speech that our political leaders need to be delivering uh, goes on to say we should phase out plastics where we don't need them. You would like that, Ali. <laughs> and it says we should institute similar efforts to remove pesticides from our agriculture. Don't think I'll get any argument there. And then let's turn our attention to the economy. We need to step away from measuring gross domestic product as the way we measure whether we are succeeding or failing. Success metrics such as education, lifespan, health, happiness, well-being, and quality of life are things to measure whether we are succeeding as a nation. A nation is its people, not its corporations. Measure how your people are doing. How do you like that? It's
1: people care in permaculture, what we study, checking in.
0: And yeah. Yeah. That GDP metric is really killing us. We mm-hmm. just can't seem to let go of that here in the U.S. And it's like taking a cross country road trip in a car and looking only at your speedometer, paying no attention to your compass. The engine temperature, the oil pressure, the tire pressure. That's just not a good way to navigate. So in my administration, we'll embrace better metrics for success, genuine progress indicators, planetary boundaries we'll be watching. We'll measure health and happiness and whether needs are being met. Human things, rather than kachings on the cash register. Later in the speech, he describes this. These are Matt's words here. We will stop grading ourselves on GDP growth. We will grade ourselves on our education, our health, and our happiness. We will judge ourselves on the health of our rivers and oceans and mountains and forests and all the things that live in those places. Why doesn't that sound like the kind of promises that you want to make to your kids? I think so. And
1: what our leaders should be saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And here's an interesting thing. I really like this perspective here. Capitalism isn't evil, it is just the system that we have. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that it isn't working for us. It is working for a handful of folks at the top of the economy. Good for them, but bad for the rest of us. We will always have markets to value things, trade things, and buy and sell things. But we need to change the system that we have now, because it's destroying us. Will we find the will to save ourselves in time? The only thing keeping us from addressing the environmental problems that threaten our future is will, political will. We have the understanding to fix these problems. We have the technology to fix these problems. We have the means to do this. We have plans to do this, but we lack the political will because doing this would be very disruptive for the wealthy and powerful on this planet. Business as usual will continue to be profitable for those who benefit the most from business as usual, but business as usual will destroy our civilization. I think this is simple recognition that the results we're seeing from the current arrangement aren't good. And, you know, if Earth is our spaceship, our spaceship is falling apart. And if you see that crew members are unbolting panels, chiseling away at the airlock door, venting carbon dioxide into the cabin, I think you would say this needs to stop (laughs) and it needs to stop now. We don't have time for incrementalism. And that's an important part of the th- message I want to deliver today is we've been engaged in incrementalism for 30 years. People have been trying to compromise and not upset anybody, not be too doom and gloom, <laughs> you know, meet people in the middle. And I'm all for coming together and working together. But there are some things where you just can't wait another 30 years. We don't have 30 years to tiptoe into the bright future that we owe our kids. We need to work quickly because we've waited too long.
1: But the people in power make it so difficult to do so. You know, there's so many things, even gag orders, that we have to deal with now in our society.
0: Yeah, they do, but you know what? We should take responsibility too. We need to give those people permission to embrace what we're talking about. Right now, they don't think they have our permission. They think that we will penalize them that we will not elect them if they tell the truth, the kind of truth that we're talking about. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons why I undertook this campaign. Somebody has got to, uh, you know, we've got to get past the tipping point and make it okay to talk about these things.
1: Yes, say it again, Dave. You have permission. Say it again. Tell the people listening today.
0: We need to give our political leaders permission. You need to say to your elected representatives, you need to say to the candidates, you have my permission to start telling us the truth about being in overshoot and stop feeling like you need to promise us more jobs and robust economic growth and cheap gas. Those are dead planet promises. You need to love my kids. What are we going to do for my kids? How is that, Allie?
1: Bravo. <laughs> yes, more responsibility uh, they do. Thanks for encouraging Tell us the me. Truth. Yeah. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> Next thing in the speech real quick. Why do we insist on being a cancer that needs to grow forever until it kills its host? Because that's what we're doing. You know, and I've already said it, you know, we insist on that because it's uncomfortable to stop being a cancer. It's considered gloom and doom. So, no leaders and few organizations are willing to acknowledge this. We're busy arguing about the colors of the deck chairs on the Titanic. And we owe our kids better.
1: That's right. We need someone, and I think it's in this too, we need someone to lead, to serve, not to exploit us as humans anymore. Don't exploit our children.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm not real big on tooting my own horn, but that's what I want to do. Moving on in the speech. We can stop worrying about growing. Let's start taking care of our people and our resources. Let us focus on being better stewards of this planet and of each other. We will put the lives and the well-being of each other above all else. We'll still have markets. We'll still have companies. We'll still have almost all of the trappings of the mature civilization that we have today. We will just make the conscious choice not to destroy ourselves. That will take some adjustment. That will cause some pain for those in power they will have to give away some of that power. It's really a beautiful world and an elegant way forward that he's describing. So let's go there.
1: I want to go there.
0: (laughs) All right. We're almost at the end of this. Let's see. Oh, this is good stuff like this. These things will all start from a community perspective. A community knows its river, its forests and its wildlife best not some bureaucrat in Washington or Brussels or some other capital. That's where it starts. It starts with the solidarity of communities understanding this problem and coming together to solve it. It means those communities need to tell us in the corridors of power what they need to solve these problems. It is then our job to serve those needs. And that's big because, you know, I don't think I have all the answers. I don't think our team has all the answers. We're going to be exploring and inventing as we go. But I know that we're going to de-globalize. Globalization has uh, hidden our impacts from us where we can enjoy crazy toys, not even thinking about their impact because the factory is halfway around the planet and those carbon emissions aren't counted against us. We need to be manufacturing products closer to home, manufacturing durable products, not throwaway products. They need to be repairable so we aren't throwing them away and making new ones all the time. We need to be working less and earning less and spending less. And in order to make that work, we've got to come together and find ways to make sure that everybody's needs are met. And I see that as being largely handled by, I'm going to call them community hubs because I don't want this just to be top down. We're going to lead and provide good information and inspiration and support to people at the community level who are going to help us redesign our economy and build a healthy 21st century economy. They're gonna be doing things like repair cafes, tool sharing, reskilling, community gardens, and who knows what else. I don't even know all the things that they'll be doing, but we're gonna have programs to support the formation of those community hubs and see to it that they are able to uh, help us plot the way forward.
1: Relocalizing the economy. Thank you for mentioning that, Dave, because that's going to be a big push to actually get people to start changing. And they'll start to realize when they have the resources and they can do things that they have had to, you know, like you said, buy from all across the country, people aren't realizing, you know, or the world the miles that it takes, the footprint when you know we can learn these skills and do things differently in our communities. Yeah, educating children is going to be a big one because they're the future leaders of our planet.
0: Yep, all right. Last little bit I want to share here. I think all the changes that I've made are possible, but they will take a change in our culture, a change in how we live. This calls for changes in how we use energy, how we eat, how we interact with each other, how we travel, and how we see ourselves in our nations but they are gravely needed. We need to better understand that what we need is much different than what we want. Our societies today, especially in the developed, overdeveloped, I would say, that's a Dave Gardner comment, Western world, focus on consumption-driving economies so we can have more wealth, bigger houses, better vacations, more food, and more of everything. What we need is to survive as a society and as a civilization. Confusing our wants for our needs is part of what has got us into this problem. Study after study shows that the people who are happiest in their lives and most content in their lives are people who feel they belong to something bigger than themselves. It's a human connection. It is loving and being loved.
1: That last part, Dave. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's a huge paradigm shift. You know, many iconoclasts have been talking and teaching about this for years, but the shift has just been too slight and too slow. So I'm running for president to draw full attention to it and to make it a daily subject in the briefing room.
1: Yeah. And these collective efforts, you know, getting together, it's possible. (laughs)
0: We're going for it. We're shooting the moon, and if you're watching or listening to this, we could use your help, a few dollars for us to spend on advertising, so maybe we can catch fire and and get the word out. Close to the end of the speech, Matt says, uh, here's what he writes. We need to decide as a people, that's what we're going to do, and then get on with doing it. Yeah. Good stuff.
1: Yeah, I like that he says, uh, please help us save ourselves. Please help us save you. Please help us save our children and future generations. We know how to do this. Dave's given us some good solutions.
0: Any final comments from the peanut gallery?
1: Don't be afraid. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's your more responsibility to start talking about these things because there's a lot of other people that are, help us.
0: Yeah. So share this episode with people that you love, people who need to be exposed to this progressive kind of thinking. So I want to just thank you for watching or listening. Uh, Please follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share this episode, share the entire series with friends, family, colleagues, elected representatives, journalists, students, anyone and everyone. And don't forget to check out my campaign at davetheplanet2024.com. Read about my national project to get out of overshoot. And please, please click on donate, volunteer, and or subscribe. That's the only way that we can create a bright future for our kids.